you've got your Bible, grab that, run on over to uh, Daniel chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 19. So while you're flipping there, let me uh, remind you that all of these Old Testament stories, all of these Old Testament characters, they're not stories about these individuals. Joseph, we, we studied last summer. Uh, we, we did four weeks through the life of Joseph looking for the gospel in that story. If you missed it, you can head to cityviewchurch.tv uh, on the watch tab. You can go down to the video archive and you can find that from last summer. Uh, and, and you can see how we, we talked about the gospel through the life of Joseph. And that's what we've been doing so far here is talking about the gospel through the life of Daniel. Joseph's life did not point to the greatness of Joseph. It did not point to the merit or worth of Joseph nor does Daniel's story here point us to Daniel, but they point us to our ultimate king, Jesus. So uh, look at this quote from a book that quoted another book. I've never read this, this other book, but it was quoted in one of the books that I'm studying. It says, so speaking of the comparison of Daniel and Joseph, it says, he was young and full of zeal, both of them, as high resolve to attain the height of God's purpose for him. The important thing was to walk with courageous and willing steps the road God set under his feet and to look as far ahead as it was given to him, man to see, and not to startle through the way, though, there's a glare on that one, not to startle, though the way were steep, uh, foe, the steeper, the more certain its point. Did I copy and paste this or type it myself? I don't know. Each one of these men, gosh, each one of their lives was lived because they knew that there was something in front of them. And what was in front of them was not life circumstances. It wasn't the threats of the people around them but it was the mission of God. It was the hope of glory that comes from God. It wasn't the hope of glory that came with, if you interpret my dreams, I'll give you a place in the courtroom. I'll dress you up all pretty. I'll give you nice, all pretty jewelry. It wasn't about anything other than just courageously taking whatever step God has put in front of them. I think that's something that's lost on us here in these days. Just kind of reading through different things. And yesterday I read a quote uh, that was just talking about uh, humility not really being available until we stop blame shifting. Blame shifting may make me feel better, but it's never going to bring me to a place of humility. Blame shifting just, and so, and I'm guilty of it, you know? I don't want anything to be my fault. Those words that I read that didn't make sense, that was somebody else's fault. Somebody else typed that. I just copied and pasted what they typed, right? We want these stories to point us to a God who says that we don't need to shift blame. We don't need to alleviate ourselves from responsibility. We just need to courageously take the next step. And if the consequences of that next step are my fault, then I will courageously take that into what the Lord has for me. And if those consequences from that step are someone else's fault, I'm gonna take that anyways because I know that God has more for me. 
Let's just real quick do a, a thematic recap of the first five chapters before we finish here the narrative story. So here we go. Chapter one, God says to us, I remember you. Though you may be in exile, let's not blame shift. Let's not say whose fault this was. I haven't forgotten you. I will rescue you. One day, this kingdom will fall, and the kingdom after it will fall, and the kingdom after that. But I'm establishing for you a kingdom that will never be destroyed. I'm going to rescue you. I'm right here with you. Though you may walk through the fire, you don't walk alone. The most important part of that story was not necessarily that the men were faithful, though death was threatened to them. But because of their faithfulness, God met them in the fire. So yes, their faith was important, but their faith gave them the opportunity to meet with Jesus in the fire. I'm there with you. Nebuchadnezzar has his mind turned to a beast, and God humbles him, and he's out in the thing, seven periods of time, whether that's seven seasons or seven years. We know that at the end, his hair was as long as eagle's feathers, and his, claws were, or his fingernails were as long as claws. So I know my hair doesn't grow that fast in almost two years, so seven seasons might not necessarily be right, but seven periods of time was probably seven years this king was out in the field living like a beast, going to sleep, but one day he turns his eyes to heaven as if to say, I give up, I give up. And because he humbled himself, God restored him. And then the next king, had his kingdom taken from him after a very short period of time because he just would not humble himself. He was proud. And then last week we see that Daniel was delivered over to death and we're reminded that Jesus was delivered over to death for us. Let's finish this up and then maybe we'll jump to a place where uh, I think Daniel would have pointed us to where he here with us today. Verse 19 says, Then at daybreak, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And he came near to the den where Daniel was, and he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O oh, oh Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said, O oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angels and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken from the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions and they their children, their wives. Before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces. And then King Darius wrote to all the people's nations, language that dwell in all the earth. That sounds familiar to something that Nebuchadnezzar wrote after he was humbled. Let everyone, no matter the language, no matter the people, have peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. 
He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has served Daniel, saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel proposed during, oh, wait, yeah. So this Daniel, I've told you guys, the longer I read out loud, the lower my reading level, right? You're seeing it. Um, Hunter, can you turn down the one that says Greg? It's over on the other side. It's way on the other side. You're on the wrong side. It says Greg, L-A-V, thanks. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Last week we were reminded that just like Jesus, who had men make up accusations, Daniel had these men draw up something and have the king sign it so that they couldn't get out of it. Because the king was weak, just like Pilate was weak, the king had no choice but to deliver Daniel over to death, just like Pilate had no choice but to deliver Jesus over to death. Both of them were placed in a grave and a hole, assumed dead. One of them was actually dead, the other was assumed, ready to die. And a stone was rolled in front of it, and people came early the next morning. And both men were alive. Daniel was alive because the power of God shut the mouths of lions. And I know that I don't live, I don't live as boldly as I should knowing that my God can shut the mouth of lions. That's one thing that I've seen here in this story. And my boldness has been called into question. It's easy when I'm here, and it's easy when I'm at home, but it's in those little moments when it's just me, and I give in to my own thinking that I am the least bold. I don't back down to people very often, but I can back myself down in a minute. And so the thing that I've been challenged here is that I need to live and the power of the God who shuts the mouths of lions. And he can silence my mouth in the back of my head too. I was talking with, with a pastor mentor friend this week and we were talking about how interesting it is that uh, it says that, that, that the scriptures tell us that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart and then our mind, our strength and it's easy to be strong and it's easy to but Daniel or Jeremiah reminds us in chapter 17 that our heart is deceitful. It is desperately wicked. And God calls us to love him with all of our heart. And so the boldness that I've been asking the Lord for is how can I love you with my heart first? Because you can lead your, your heart forward through your mind. You watch it all the time in middle school girls, right? They convince themselves in their mind that they love this boy who has the cutest hair and the nicest jeans. And then all of a sudden, this boy picks another girl and they're heartbroken. 
Though they may have never had a conversation with said boy, they are now broken because they weren't chosen. Why? Because they convinced their heart in their mind. They started. And so really, honestly, I've been praying and asking God to help me love him with my heart first. Because just like we sang earlier, that he will remove from us this heart of stone from Ezekiel and give us a heart of flesh. And I want my mind and I want my strength to be moved by a heart for God. And so I need the boldness to know that my God shuts the mouth of lions. If Daniel were here this morning, I am certain that he would not want you to talk about his story at all. But he would want us to talk about the resurrection of Jesus that gives us hope. You see, it is at the resurrection of Jesus that you and I can experience the death of death. Though our physical bodies may die, you and I will live on forever. And so the resurrection of Jesus is the point of the story of Daniel's story here in the lion's den. So what does the resurrection mean? Think about it for a minute. Think about it for a minute. What does the resurrection mean? And then what does it mean for you? And by that I mean how does the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the life that you have in the Father because of that resurrection, how does that lead you forward into everything that you do? Take a minute. For some, this may be a very difficult question. For me, it was a difficult question in a couple of areas, and it was easy in a couple of areas. What does the resurrection of Jesus mean? Let's look doctrinally. Let's move forward in our scriptures. We've been in the Old Testament. Now let's move forward to the New Testament. And let's see what the resurrection means. So doctrinally speaking, Christ's delivery from death. He died. And just as Daniel was seen to have no sin, God closed his mouth because he had done no wrong. Jesus was rescued from death because he had done no wrong. So the first one is that Christ's resurrection ensures our regeneration. Listen to this, 1 Peter. Should have put a bunch of bookmarks here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Doctrinally speaking, you and I are guaranteed through faith in Jesus Christ. Regeneration, which means we were born into this world dead in our sin, but have the opportunity for life in Jesus. We're saying just now, man has sinned, but God is saved. Because why? Because Jesus conquered the grave. You and I have 
assurance of our regeneration. Ephesians chapter 1. I challenge you to write in your Bible. If you don't, you'll forget these things. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, it says, What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the work of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power? That God raised him from the dead and you and I can be raised from the dead. You and I don't have to be sinful, broken, and without hope. But you and I, through the resurrection of Jesus, can be very alive. You and I can be very much filled with hope. And you and I can be put back together. The second thing that Christ's delivery from death is that Christ's resurrection ensures our justification. Romans chapter 4, verse 25 says this, I'm going to start in verse 24. But for ours also, it will be counted to those, to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who delivered up our trespasses and raised for our justification. See, Jesus was delivered over de to death on our behalf, and he was raised by the power of God for our justification. When I'm talking to parents, all the time, they're struggling with their kids, particularly if they have multiple kids. Uh, I've had this conversation, but even, even people who have just one kid, when they're struggling with obedience with their kids, and like we said earlier, blame shifting. No one teaches a child two things, self-preservation or justification. No one teaches kids that. Inside of each one of us, is an inherent desire to be justified. Each one of us are born longing to be made right. Bless you. Each one of us are born longing to have right standing somewhere, some way, some shape, somehow. And because we long for that, we will say and we will do whatever we need to say and do so that we feel as though we have acquired the justification we desire. But what we know is that you and I, spiritually speaking, and so physically speaking, will never have the justification we long for outside of faith in Jesus, which is why it says, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised Jesus Christ. And so how can you get justification? How can you feel like you are right? Well, you can shift blame and you can make all of these scenarios about someone else or you can simply believe in him who raised Jesus from the grave. And so Jesus being delivered from death ensures that you and I can be made new. It ensures that you and I can be made right. And it also ensures, Christ's resurrection ensures our, no, I don't have it memorized. 
Christ's resurrection ensures we will receive perfect resurrection bodies as well. Flip over 1 Corinthians. Chapter 6, verse 14. And God raised the Lord, and he also will raise you up by his power. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, just a few pages over. Chapter 4, verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. And I'm not just pulling individual verses out. I challenge you to go back and read all of each one of those chapters. Write them down. You'll see that I'm not just cherry-picking the Bible to make sure it says that I want what I want it to say. But the Lord God, before the foundation of the world, purposed that Jesus would be our victory, our righteousness, and our salvation. All of the scriptures point us to that. I wondered all week long whether or not we should acknowledge this day in history. And all week long I thought no. Until this. Christ's resurrection ensures that you and I will receive perfect bodies one day. And as Christ was raised from the dead, you and I will also be raised from the dead. And so I will reference and make mention that today is the 15-year anniversary of September 11, 2001, a day that most of us were alive for and will probably never forget where we were. And it is on days like that that I am asked most often, how can a loving God let something like that happen? If there is a God at all, where is there any hope for those of us who live in a world where something like that can happen? And so I will make mention of this day because Christ's resurrection ensures for us that you and I will have new bodies in a perfect kingdom, worshiping the perfect God forever. So to answer the question, how can a loving God let things like that happen? I usually start by saying, I, I don't know. Well, let me tell you what I do know. When God created everything, he saw that it was good. And after God made man, and he gave him a suitable helper, he saw that it was very good. And he placed them in a perfect environment, free of sin, free of brokenness, and free of destruction. but sin still entered the picture. 
And you can probably tell from your own life, just like one bad decision, or you've noticed with your children, one small little tiny white lie turns into two tiny little small white lies, which turns into a thousand different lies to prop up the story that you've built. And just like you have to keep lying to cover up for the fact that you've lied, sin keeps stacking up on sin, keeps stacking up on sin, keeps stacking up on sin until one day it'll all be over, but it won't be without great pain and great destruction. Some of those things we will read about as we move from the narrative portion to what they call the prophetic or apocalyptic section of the book of Daniel. Some of the prophecies will point forward to the people of Israel being delivered from their captivity in Babylon. Some of them will point us forward as prophecies of the Messiah. And some of them will point us even further forward to the end of all things. I don't know. I don't know why God lets terrible things happen. Except for to say that they are always to point us to our need for him. And he will continue, just like he did to Nebuchadnezzar, to give us over to our sin and our brokenness until we humbly come to him. It isn't until you and I understand that we have nothing of worth, nothing of value inside of ourselves that we can come to the cross of Jesus and say, thank you. That you and I can visit the empty tomb of Jesus and say, there is my newness. There is the justification that I have been at war to find. And there is the promise of life without sin and brokenness. One day where I will get to live <laughs> new. And I will get to live justified. And I will get to live whole. Were Daniel here today, knowing what you and I know from the scriptures, he would not want us to glory in the fact that God delivered him from the den of the lions more than we would glory in the Jesus who was delivered from death. Not we think he's going to die in there, but placed in there dead, but is alive today. Which is why the scriptures don't tell us that the same God who shuts the mouth of lions lives in us but the same God who conquered the grave lives in us. So what does that mean now for you? We know what it means doctrinally. We know what it means in how we should believe. And so let's just take a minute. Maybe we just bow our heads, close our eyes. Just a chance to be alone. A chance to think, a chance to pray, and a chance to hear from the Lord. We've now talked about what the resurrection of Jesus means for us all.
but what does it mean for you? And if what it means for you changes what it means for everybody, that's not what it means for you. And so how will the resurrection of Jesus lead you out the door this morning? How will the resurrection of Jesus lead you to interact with your children? Some of you have grown children. How will the resurrection of Jesus lead you in your interactions with your grown children? What are the implications of the resurrection of Jesus where you work? resurrection of Jesus must mean more than just some sort of simple security. So how does the resurrection of Jesus lead you to holiness? How does knowing that your sin and your death have been forever defeated help you in the way that you think. What does the resurrection of Jesus mean for you? This morning we have worshiped God together in song. We have worshiped God by having the word of God read over us. We've worshiped God by having the word of God prayed over us. We have worshiped God by having the word of God taught to us. And we will once again return to worshiping God through song, but we will also do so by interacting with the elements at the table. And so if you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, this is how you come to the table. You come as one whose regeneration is ensured by the resurrection of Jesus. You come as one who no longer needs to seek and battle for justification, but your justification is ensured through the resurrection of Jesus. And you come to the table as one who lives in a broken world filled with sinful people pursuing sinful things. But whose perfect body is ensured for them in heaven. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus was delivered over to death for you that you may have all of that. And he was delivered from death to guarantee all of that is yours. And so as we sing this morning, come to the table 
Feast on his body. Drink in his blood. That we may go and figure out how to live the implication of the resurrection. As we sing, you come.